must not go back to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. That help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and today is an exciting episode. Not only do we have a great chapter, but we have a new person on the podcast, Julie. Hi, everybody. Uh, Julie and I go way back, almost 15 years Oh God, yeah, it is. That's crazy. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's been a minute. We've been trying to get Julie on the podcast now for a little while. And it's a while. Uh, we were also supposed to have one of our mutual friends also on the podcast, but she couldn't make it, feeling under the weather. So we'll get her on soon. Um, we'll get Jen on soon. But Julie, what, what kind of got you into Harry Potter? What kind of made you fall fall in love with it? Well, so I mean, starting out, I was a huge book nerd um, when I was younger. And so like, you know, any popular book, you automatically just jump straight into. Um, But then reading Harry Potter, like I've always had a very overactive imagination. So like reading about this world where you can really think about like, oh my God, what if right behind that wall is where, you know, the US's version of Diagon Alley is. Like, and so having the ability to kind of keep thinking about what could possibly be hidden and is this wizarding world real and then when you like think about maybe I did miss getting my Hogwarts letter and so just like that thing just kind of really brought it in and sucked me in and still does yeah it's I think it's a testament to her writing too of how descriptive it is and when you first see uh you know book one Sorcerer's Stone you you experienced it all with Harry and you're just like going on that journey with him and it just sucks you in that much more. Yeah. And I mean, who doesn't want to believe that there's some form of magic in the world? So especially like when you think about when we were first reading this Mm -hmm. and you know, you are a preteen and you're reading about it and you're like, maybe there is magic. Maybe this is all real. And I'm just, you know, the lame muggle born who doesn't get to actually know it exists. (laughs) I don't know. You know, I'm of a certain age where I was around 11 when this first came out. So it's, uh, yeah, you kind of have that same kind of growing up like, oh, man, wouldn't that be cool Mm -hmm. if that was me, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like that sense of like adventure because who reads these books? Like when you're the same age as the characters, like you're reading and you're like, wouldn't this be the coolest thing ever? Like, yeah, we almost died like 12 times, but it was so cool. (laughs) Um, speaking of adventures and craziness, we have an adventurous and crazy chapter here. Uh, and I feel like we've, we've tried to get you on the podcast, like I said, a couple of different times before. And when we prepped it, we got all the way up through the prep and then something fell through last minute. But I feel like every chapter has been like, oh, Julie, I can't wait for you to be on this chapter because it's going to be a big one. It's going to be a good one. And then something happens. And then something happens. But they always seem to be good. And again, maybe that's a testament to Harry Potter being very solid all the way through. Uh, But this is another good one. Uh, The chapter's title is Aragog. And we get a whole bunch of Aragog in this. Mm -hmm. But how the chapter starts off is kind of shocking to me. Because, you know, we had a poll a couple weeks ago of where you'd like to spend, like, your time. The Burrow or Hogwarts? And it was a pretty contentious debate, um, and the vote was close, but my feeling was like the borough is very, you know, family friendly, uh, cool people walking in and out all the time, it's a fun place to be, and Hogwarts is a fun place to be too, you could explore the castle on your own, there's tons of cool magical things to explore, uh, but... The way this chapter starts off, it's not a fun place to be anymore. No. <laughs> it's very controlled. It's very regimented. It's um, just kind of cloaked in fear. I mean, you're thing. almost looking at, I my first thoughts on it was almost like a military school where it's very yeah. like, yeah. we're going from point A, point B, 
there are no extracurriculars. This is when you go to bed. This is when you wake up. This is when you're eating. Like there is no flexibility in there. And to go from like, I think specifically for like the Muggleborns who have to be the most terrified right now, but to go from like learning about this magical world and then all of a sudden from, okay, we're taking you from this class into this class and you cannot explore anything. You can only follow our, you know, exact schedule here. Mm-hmm. Like that has to be a bit of a shock and actually add even more terror into it. Yeah. I mean, when you have professors needing to escort you to the class, it's like they had a couple of chapters ago, they talked about like first years grouping together mm-hmm. and like walking, which is great. But now they've gone from that to whole classes walking together. Yes. It, and and with teachers escorting you, it it's a, a shock to the system, especially with the other part of this fear is Dumbledore's not in the castle anymore. So now you have McGonagall taking over, who does command authority and does command respect for sure. But there's just something about that dude not being there that's like, we're vulnerable all of a sudden. Like now we're truly vulnerable. We never thought we were. Now we are. <laughs> Um, so that kind of hovers over everything. Uh, but McGonagall's trying her best. Teachers are, like, working around the clock. It, it makes you wonder, like, when any of them are sleeping or if they yeah. can sleep. Because when you hear some of the... I'm sure Lockhart is sleeping just fine. But as far as the rest of the teachers, like, between doing all of the patrols, making sure, like, especially with the heads of houses, making sure that all of your... Um, house students are safe like i can't imagine how you get any sleep in there i just thought of a potential idea as we're talking but i have to save it for the spoilers (laughs) but yeah no it it struck me too that like patrols through the night and there's only so many teachers and this is a big castle Mm -hmm. so they have to be and first of all i don't know if um you caught it or not but they said, like, I think Harry said that they got out of class at, like, 6 o'clock mm-hmm. p.m. Yeah. Like, in the evening. <laughs> and I imagine they started school, like, in the morning. That's a long day anyway. Yeah. Like, for everybody. Well, and the thing that I was thinking, too, with the teachers escorting the students in between classes is how much of a pain that also must have been. Because it's not, like... Every single class has every single house. So if you're going from Transfiguration to Herbology and your Mm. Transfiguration is Gryffindor and Ravenclaw, but Herbology is Gryffindor and Slytherin. So So you then have to like walk one to one class and then walk one one to the other. And one to the other. But what happens when you have to go back to your common room? Because throughout the books, you see that like the other houses don't really know exactly where the common rooms are so do you just stop in the general area and say all right bye-bye slytherins have fun or do you have to like then tell all the gryffindors like all right guys stand here (laughs) huddle together we're gonna go take slytherins to their common room we'll be back that's a good point too yeah it's i'm sure they have all of these fine details worked out i'm sure mcgonagall's on top of it but yeah, that's a pain. That's a royal pain. And you can't, it's not exactly like you can assign the ghosts to escort them or yeah. something like that. <laughs> you can have them patrolling, but you yeah. can't necessarily have them like yeah, complicated beyond belief all the way across the board. Um, but in one of these classes, uh, I was particularly like, harsh on this Hufflepuff before um, with him stirring up some trouble, Ernie McMillan. And putting Harry on blast with relatively little evidence. I mean, do you need a ton of evidence, though? I mean, all things point to Harry. And you have to remember how young all the Hogwarts students are. That's true. Think about your typical... I coined the phrase first year dumb, and now second year stupid. Yeah, I mean, like, when you think about your typical 11, 12-year-old, like, if you go... Yeah, he talks to snakes. He was setting that snake on a muggle-born. Right. I mean, that's all that an 11 or 12-year-old really needs to, like, prove Make it. everything? Yeah. <laughs> you could forget about some of the context and some of the other details going on. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I know what I saw. Well, and you just kind of need that. I think 
they're all looking for a justification here is, you know, their friends have been attacked, their classmates have been attacked and you want to find some sort of explanation somewhere to put the blame. And I mean, Harry's a pretty easy target most of the time to take blame for just about anything. That is fair. Uh, I like how the the thing that made him come around was the Hermione attack. And he goes, well, I believe you couldn't have possibly done that because you just, you wouldn't do that. Yeah. But then he immediately goes into accusing another student. Like in the same breath, he goes from apologizing after falsely accusing one to just accusing the other. I mean, at least he was somewhat a good person by apologizing. I mean, that doesn't... That is pretty big of him to actually be able it to is. apologize is. after all of the stuff. And when Harry heard him say all and of the stuff. And called him on yeah. it. Yeah. And so for him to actually apologize, I think, is him being a relatively big person for a 12-year-old. It's a big person who clearly does not learn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he clearly doesn't learn and still wants to find somewhere else to point the blame but i think everyone in the castle right now is also looking for someone where they can be like all right let's lock them up and save all of our friends this is one of my favorite harry quotes though because ernie goes from apologizing for accusing someone falsely to then accusing someone falsely (laughs) and harry's just like no (laughs) just flat no not him it's it's just not him stuns everybody because obviously they know harry and draco are contentious Which, I mean, is kind of funny, too, when you think about it, because obviously Ron and Harry know the truth about Draco and that he's not the heir of Slytherin and doesn't know who it is. But for him to just shut it down instead of being like, well, you know, maybe. Like, I think it's actually one of the times that Harry also is a good person in regards to Draco. I think he's just frustrated at Ernie. He's like, dude, you yeah. just got this wrong like a couple of weeks ago or months ago or whatever it's been. Do you not, like, dude, come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's, let's stop the blind accusations and actually, like, you know, look into this. Go figure. Uh, but like you said, they're 12 years old. They're yeah. idiots still. But, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, so most of this chapter takes place in the Forbidden Forest. Uh, Harry and Ron go and decide, we need to figure this out now because the school's possibly going to get closed. We can't have this, uh, so on and so forth. So they take the cloak, they sneak out. Um, and I think you had uh, a note about like, they keep sneaking out of this portrait Yes, hole. what is the fat lady doing? Because can you imagine if you're that portrait and... You open up, no one comes out, and then at, you know, call it 2, 3 a.m., the password is said. So either you're opening up with no one there just because you happen to hear the word, or Harry and Ron actually take off the invisibility cloak. And does the fat lady just sit there and go, oh, well, I mean, you said the password. Cool, guys, come on in. Like, wouldn't you think since her job and all of the other portraits in the castle, like, is to essentially look after the castle, guard the castle to some Their respect. entire function is a security measure, yeah. <laughs> in so a way, yeah. Wouldn't you think that the fat lady would be like, oh, hey, Professor McGonagall, just so you know, somebody came out of the portrait last night? Somebody came in at 3 a.m.? You'd think. <laughs> you would think. But I think that explains a lot about Hogwarts, because... Uh, you might well, need a... And she's not the only portrait, <laughs> like, to your point, she's not the only portrait that can interact mm-hmm. and will meet a lot of the other portraits later and in different forms and functions. But, yeah, there's a million. It's a big castle. There's You're a million. Me there's not one gossipy portrait who's like, did you notice that somebody opened the fat lady last night at 3 a.m.? No, there's not one. Yeah, you bring up a good point with the portraits of being, especially... is lacking at Hogwarts. Yeah. Well, especially her specific function is a security measure. And yeah, you'd think, you like, uh, what? Uh, why? Is no one here? Whatever. But maybe it is just a thing, I don't know, because portrait, portraits sleep, right? Like, they have moments where they're like, so 3 a.m.? Yeah. But then how but do you wake up a portrait? still have to... Open. Does she automatically open it? The, like the, I don't know. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, anyway, they get out there. They somehow manage by some insane luck to get out of the castle, even with the cloak, mm-hmm. with all of the uh, patrols going on. And uh, they get to Hagrid's hut and <laughs> release Fang, who is someone taking care of Fang? It didn't seem like someone was taking care of Fang. I would hope that there's someone, but who, I don't mean to sound like all of the teachers are terrible people, but like who would be like, yep, I'm going to go help Hagrid's dog, especially with Dumbledore not around. I could see Dumbledore wanting to feel like help should... or that it would fall on Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Should but fall, like the care magical creatures teacher to care for a creature. <laughs> True, but who's assigning that care? <laughs> That's a fair point. I don't know. Um, but they're, you know, uh, they don't want him barking, so they feed him some of the the Hagrid snacks that will glue his his jaw shut temporarily, at least. But then they like leave the cloak behind in the in the hut, and I'm I'm like, never, no, never leave the cloak behind. I don't care where you're going, <laughs> always have that. You would think they would have learned by now. I mean, I know that they haven't had it for that long, but keep the cloak, keep the invisibility. And I get it. I, I, look, I have been a critic of Harry and foolishly rushing into things mm-hmm. early in these books. And he's somewhat doing it here. But even if you don't know what you're about to run into, because really, how could you? How could you plan on that? Yeah. That being said, you still know there's some dangerous stuff in this forest. I mean, the last time you were in the forest, you ran into Voldemort. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he went in there for a unicorn like someone was killing like unicorns yeah. it's like maybe you should like have another precaution because you might not be able to see in the forest that doesn't mean other things can't see in the True. forest but not to jump the gun a little bit but if they yep. did bring the invisibility cloak with them mm-hmm. then a certain savior of theirs wouldn't have seen them potentially it's true Would, so okay so Aragog they eventually run into Aragog, who is this... I believe you have the, the good descriptions of it. Yes, him. size of a small elephant. That is frightening. I'm, like, cringing, even, like, thinking about that. Let alone trying to visualize a spider that is the size of a small elephant. Yes. I don't personally have an issue with spiders... Until they, like, really encroach upon my... Like, if there's a spider in the corner of, like, the bathroom or my bedroom, whatever, it can chill. Nope, do absolutely not. <laughs> but if it's, like, uh, the, one, the one time I was shaving in the mirror, right? And I'm focusing on me in the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm focusing and I'm focusing. And then all of a sudden I, like, stop shaving and I unfocus from the mirror. And there's, like, a spider, like, right in front of my nose. Nope. Because I wasn't seeing it because I was focusing past it. That's in my space. That needs to get swatted up out of my space. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm fine. These, this scenario, is in, this would give me some anxiety. Well, I mean, think about it, Dan. You're a tall guy, but a spider the size of a small, small elephant, elephant is a spider that is still larger. So we're thinking small than... elephant. We're t- still talking like 9, 10, 11, 12 feet tall. Yeah. I mean, yeah. unless you're talking like baby elephant, but that's still pretty big. <laughs> still pretty big. That's still <laughs> no, pretty thank big. thank you. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, it can speak? I don't know if that makes it more or less terrifying. Maybe a little less terrifying, because at least they can tell you what they're thinking. I don't know. That, I can't recall, honestly. She doesn't really do a good job, necessarily, of telling you how it sounds. Like, how Aragog sounds, so you kind of, like, Yeah, other imagine than it. the... Um, Aragog's child that is carrying Ron and Harry that like right. you hear it through the um, noise of its pincers, which I mean, yeah, that's terrifying. That would be creepy. Yeah, yeah that would be creepy. That's terrifying. But I mean, the fact that at least this spider can tell you like, I mean, you no harm or yeah, you end here. I mean, like, you no harm least, now. <laughs> five minutes from now. <laughs> Different story. But <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it's actually a little bit helpful that Aragog can actually talk to you instead of just... Communication is huge. Yeah. And the fact that you can... at Because the, they would have... 
uh, killed them if Harry hadn't been like, whoa, Hagrid sent us. Yeah. Uh, which also makes me think, like, after this whole debacle ends up, and they, I'm sure they go back and talk to Hagrid, and they're like, hey, uh, your pet almost yeah. killed us. <laughs> Again. <laughs> How does that interaction go? Like, does Hagrid walk into the forest and be like, hey, can you not kill the people that I send in here to help me? <laughs> like, dude. I mean, if we look at past Hagrid interactions with his various pets, I feel like it would be like, no, he was just trying to, you know, give you a warm hug. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, well, I think that's what Ron says, too, at some point, is like, Hagrid always does this. He always mm-hmm. thinks that they're not dangerous, or they're not potentially going to kill something. Yeah. Well, yeah, Aragog even says do. that Hagrid was given the egg of Aragog from a traveler, and when I read it, I was like, hmm, this sounds oddly familiar. Wonder where we've heard a story similar to this before. I don't know. I can't even think right now if that's a spoiler or not, but I do want to get back to that, actually. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, this this conversation happens with Aragog, and it seems to be going really, really well, and Aragog seems concerned, and he seems on top of it. And then he's like, I can't tell my children not to have such fresh, <laughs> fresh food when it's right here in front of them. And then, you know, chaos ensues. And then, as you pointed out earlier, we, we the car came back a little bit before this, mm-hmm. uh, which shone in some bright headlights. But now the car comes back to save them and get them out of the forest. Clearly the grudge, whatever grudge was held after the Whomping Willow incident, <laughs> he has let go. Or at least he's like, I still don't like you guys. But I love you. But I, I'm not going to let you die. <laughs> I, I won't. That's not. That's not right. So the car has some semblance of humanity? A little bit, but like I alluded to a little bit earlier, if they had forgotten, or if they had brought the invisibility cloak with them into the forest, would the car have ever seen them? So what, you know, we're saying is one of the dumbest decisions they've ever made... (laughs) Could have actually been one of the smartest things they ever did, because otherwise the Ford Angelica would not have been able to save them from all of these elephant-sized spiders. That is true, and it's not to say that the cloak can save them from the spiders either, because spiders have other senses yeah. other than vision to know that something's there. I'm sure it's covered that forest floor is covered in webs mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff, so they can probably feel the pressure on the ground and so, so forth. So you're right. The the cloak might not have really made a difference one way or the other. But still, never leave the cloak behind. (laughs) Never. Never, ever. Don't get in that habit. Uh, Anyway. So Weasley Carr comes back, saves them all. Oh, we also find out some information about Aragog um, that we kind uh, kind of skipped over there. He has a wife. Yes. Who has bore all of these children in the forest. That Hagrid sought out. Uh, I'm going to say that's Moag? Moag? It's Moag. Moag. Moag? Okay, we're going to go with Moag on that one. Um, He doesn't like whatever the monster actually is. The thing that I find so interesting about that is, um, not to get too close to spoilers, but we do not speak of it. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, that that is some major fear. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, this spider the size of a small elephant is like, I'm not even going to go near that. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. Well, and when you think about that, like, how big that spider is and how powerful it must be. And that it won't even say the name, won't tell Hagrid who took care of him, brought him a wife. He now has a family because of Hagrid, but Mm -hmm. will not even, you know spell it out, say it, give clues, actually sounds very similar to book one when Harry was asking Hagrid about what happened when he was a baby. Yeah. Yeah. You must not be named. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, Aragog speaks. Uh, Hagrid is innocent, is ultimately what we find out from the conversation, mm-hmm. which is extremely important. 
And then Harry comes to the brilliant thought, uh, which I'm, again, surprised that they hadn't come to already, or at least Hermione hadn't figured this out, mm -hmm. but that Moaning Myrtle is a goat. Any of, actually, any of the ghosts, for that mm -hmm. matter, any of them. But Moaning Myrtle, how old is she? When did she die? Someone might have asked that question at some point, somewhere. Well, but when you think about it, with Moaning Myrtle, everyone just tries to avoid Myrtle. So yeah. who would go to Myrtle and be like, hey, when were you alive? When you tried to avoid the bathroom so that she doesn't flood it. Yep. No one's really asking her, you know, how her day is going. Someone probably should at some point. <laughs> probably. And I would hope, I would hope that Dumbledore would have at least the semblance of wisdom. I've been like, hey, what do you know? <laughs> like, can you give me whatever you got? I don't know. Anyway. Um, we are starting to get into spoilers already. It's been hard not to get into them. And I've come up with a couple of new topics that I didn't have planned. So let's just go ahead and go dive into the spoilers. Um, enjoy the Lockhart sound and we will be right back. Amazing! This is just like magic! All right. So we are back with the spoiler section of chapter 15, Aragog. And, uh, we kind of brushed along the side of it, um... <laughs> But the idea that Aragog can't even mention what the beast is and won't speak of it uh, is reminiscent of Voldemort in mm -hmm. chapter one. It's like, we must not speak his name. He must not be named. And Voldemort is known to speak. Well, the heir of Slytherin is known to speak with snakes. Mm -hmm. This is a snake. <laughs> this is a very large basilisk. Um so yeah, the parallels are definitely there. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that obviously it even gets brought up in the book how it's very similar to how wizards um, talk about Voldemort. And so I find it fascinating that J.K. Rowling actually threw in and like with bright shining lights was like, hey, I'm giving you a spoiler right here. It's right here. Do you notice how... They talk about the basilisk like it's Voldemort. Guess who is releasing the basilisk? Yep. I. She does that so often mm -hmm. by putting major spoilers in or major clues. And if you're reading for this, this for the first time, obviously way over your head. Yeah. Heck, even the second or the third time, way over your head probably. Yeah, you just read it and you kind of go, oh, okay, it's real bad. Just like Voldemort was real bad. I think this might be one of the more subtler time she does it um, versus and just within this book just this book alone you have Ginny from like chapter two or three uh, whatever three or four whenever we were at the borough Ginny's addicted to this diary very quickly mm -hmm. Ginny's upset that she left it behind Ginny's not doing so well throughout the chapters Ginny 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 yeah, and it's you're like just beating like, you over oh, the head okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, she sprinkles these things in, mm -hmm. um, and on, you know, rereads, you're just like, oh my gosh, like, come on. Yeah. You're like, right <laughs> there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's right there. It's right in plain sight. Also, I, this is something that you brought up, um, and it got me thinking, I'm like, how have I not put this together yet? And, um, what it is, is you're bringing up the egg from a traveler, mm -hmm. right? And... Um, Hagrid getting Aragog from a tra an egg from a traveler. Uh, well, you know, Tom Riddle gave up Hagrid all the way back when, mm -hmm. and he knew that he had Aragog. He knew that it was a problem. He probably knew how he got him because Tom Riddle is a master manipulator who gets anything he wants, information, whatever. So he probably knew that that was from a traveler. Well, what does he do in book one? Norbert! Norbert from a traveler. Like yep. he brings that back 50 years later. Yeah, and is just like, oh, you know what? Brilliant. Remember when I got Hagrid kicked out so that I could, you know, keep going about my life? Hmm. I don't know how to get past this dog. So. He's bringing it back. Yeah, with something new. And I mean, I would think based on how Hagrid's always talked about dragons and he's always seemed to have this interest in magical creatures mm -hmm. like come on 
Tom Riddle had to have known about the dragon. And he's like, okay, where is this guy going to find a dragon? There's no way he doesn't give up everything we need for a dragon. Yeah, I. it's a level of brilliance to Tom Riddle that's like so subtle, mm-hmm. but so intense and so just mind-blowing. Yeah. That And that he knows these small details and brings them back a half century later. I mean, who knows? Maybe Ugh. Tom Riddle was the traveler the first time. Could have been. It's just a traveler. <laughs> and if Wouldn't be hard Tom for Riddle a, knew know. that he was going to open the Chamber of Secrets, I think we pretty much established that he's smart need enough someone to, to frame just in case. know that he's going to potentially need a scapegoat. So you think he just... 16 years old, threw on a cloak, and was like, hey. <laughs> I mean, also, where think would... of what he was doing at 16 years old. That's true. But then he'd have to go find one. Unless, don't they, uh, I think they tell you at some point how Aragog is, like, born. It's some weird, like, ceremony-type thing. Or no, it's the basilisk. No, you're thinking, It's yeah. the basilisk. That's, like, a weird way to, like, Yeah, it's a chicken a egg yeah. under a... Frog or a toad frog or, or something. Toad. Yeah, it's weird. Um, so, I mean, anyway. he already knows about the basilisk, right. and it would also, spiders fear the basilisk, so he knows that the spider wouldn't be any threat to his plans. Yeah. It's just, it's a level of brilliance, and I guess it's a credit to, you know, JK2 for you know, writing it. But, yeah. um, no, it's just, a, it's a really cool thing to think of that I hadn't thought of prior to this conversation, so it's cool. <laughs> Um, also, we talked a little bit before we get into some of the other stuff we wanted to talk about. Uh, we talked about the teachers working around the clock, and then that got me thinking, do they bring in time turners and uh, use that as a tool to make it work? That? I had never thought about that. Because time turners are still a thing right now. They're not, like, all destroyed later. Yeah, so, I mean, it's... And clearly the school has access to them yep. because Hermione has and they're one. in, in touch with the ministry so about this whole thing. So if the ministry is concerned about more people, McGonagall can be like, hey, you want more security? That's fine. We'll run it. But we're going to need some extra help with mm-hmm. time. And it would be relatively easy to cover their footsteps, so to speak, because all the students have to be locked in their dorms at 6 p.m. So... All the teachers know what's going on, so if so McGonagall how... passes McGonagall. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Or if it's like you, you walk your route, you have your set route that you're going to patrol. Mm-hmm. You can walk your route, nothing happens, great, set the time turner, go back, just sleep it, sleep through. Yeah. Maybe you know that's what I mean? how they're sleeping. Maybe that's how they figure it out. Because obviously they have to sleep sometime, and they're Although, not ever. okay, I can't imagine that McGonagall is sending an owl to the ministry and is like, hey, we really need to sleep, so uh, can we have some time turners? I feel like there's got to be a potion for that, which I guess we didn't really think about earlier, but, I mean, you have Snape, this brilliant potions master, who there's probably some, like, pepped-up version of coffee that wizard can brew in a potion. That's true, but then you still run the, like, I could <laughs> I could see, like, McGonagall, like, holding a cup shaking during her transfiguration class. <laughs> like, oh, Lockhart looking all disheveled. Um, Flitwick taking one sip and then, like, skyrocketing. <laughs> yep, yeah. Uh, speaking of Snape, uh, Malfoy kind of foreshadows something. Uh, this is a big spoiler for those. Uh, <laughs> hopefully you're in the spoiler section you should know but he foreshadows like hey you would make a good headmaster uh, Professor Snape and um, he kind of gives him this like sneer of like you're right I probably would the thing that I kind of wonder about Malfoy saying that is like when he says it is it something that you know his father has brought up because he views Snape as a fellow Death Eater, a fellow ally. And so his father's, I mean, clearly his dad talks all the time about how he thinks Dumbledore is terrible and running Hogwarts. So I would assume that he also says, you know who would be a great headmaster? Severus Snape. And so it makes me wonder if Malfoy is making that comment 
to Snape because like he's already heard things and he's like, my father can work this out and make this happen. Or is it just because like, this is one of the people that Malfoy actually has some level of respect for. And I mean, like, let's be real. Every once in a while, Malfoy is the little brown nosing like son. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's one, his father can make it happen since he's, uh, apparently the only governor that matters. Right. (laughs) Um, and then the other part of it is his, the ambitious side of his Slytherin Mm -hmm. nature coming out and being like, well, if I can pull some strings for you, you can then smooth over, smooth, smooth over whatever for me on the back end, wherever that should come. Um, yeah. It's a little bit of the, the Slytherin kind of deals under the table kind of thing. Uh, but um, I, I I know Snape, it it goes to his, uh, we've talked a little bit maybe about his insecurities, you know, those kind of feelings. So it probably like just plays up to that a little bit of mm-hmm. like, oh, he thinks I'm a great teacher. I'm like the popular one now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like True, but at the same time, like, because you, you would have to think that Snape also knows how much of like a little brat Draco is. Like, sure. There's no way that he's sitting there and taking that as like an extreme compliment that like, oh, this little stuck up brat you thinks love, I'm the best. Who doesn't love to hear flattering things said to you though? I okay, mean, but if it's a person that you like don't particularly enjoy you're still kind of like okay whatever you're the leader of slytherin i'm sure you hear stuff like that all the time disingenuous compliments come on you know they're kind of slytherin's mo you know they're kind of ambitious say whatever they got to say to get them to where they need to go yeah you know that um you're from the house yourself yeah like so i think he gets it but also i mean come on he knows that Dumbledore's coming back. He knows mm-hmm. that Dumbledore needs to be here. There are bigger things at play. Yeah, it's just a little like it's an it's ego boost. Get, yeah, it's an ego boost is what it is. Anyway, um, speaking of ego and insecurities and all sorts of things, um, Julie, these characters need therapy, right? I mean, extensive therapy. I don't know how Hogwarts has functioned for this long without having an entire staff of therapists. We're not even through book two. I mean, so here's my question <laughs> like, that I have, though, is has Hogwarts always been this traumatizing for students? Or is it just that, you know, Harry Potter is a lightning rod, no pun intended, but like a lightning rod for bad things to happen to people around him? Like when Arthur and Molly Weasley were at Hogwarts, did they pretty much need extensive therapy every single school year? And if they did... Once they had kids, did they sit there and go, well, you know, we survived, so let's send them. It'll be great. It's a learning experience. Well, there's, I think, there's a lot of avenues to go down there. <laughs> there's obviously major events like Sorcerer's Stone and this, uh, the Chamber of Secrets being open now and 50 years ago, uh, that would, you know, like, major big things that are like, yeah, there's probably some counseling that needs to be done here. But then you have smaller things like Myrtle was a case that probably needed a school counselor mm-hmm. well before she ever met the basilisk. Well, like, even think about um, Hermione with the polyjuice potion. Like, wouldn't you think that if you were just a, you are a muggle born and had no experience with magic. And then all of a sudden, you know, almost two years later after finding out magic exists, you're turned into a human cat. How do you come out of that and not need therapy? Right. Even if it was, I mean, if it was your fault, you'd probably need even more therapy, but... Even if it's benign, completely benign stuff, just Muggleborns in general, mm-hmm. coming to Hogwarts for the first time. Yeah. Hey, this is what Hogwarts is about. It's like high school. Yeah. It's like you're coming to high school for the first time. <laughs> hey, like an orientation. Hey, this is what Hogwarts is all about. This is what happens in the hallways sometimes. This is what happens in classes sometimes. Also, speaking of, why is there not an orientation for Muggleborns now that we like talk oh, no. about that? There is. There's a five-minute lecture that McGonagall gives before they go into the story. <laughs> but I mean, can you imagine? 
That's their orientation. You never knew that magic was real other than seeing, like, you know, the magician pull a fake rabbit out of a hat at some, like, five-year-old's birthday party. And then Mm -hmm. you show up at Hogwarts, and it's like, oh, yeah, staircases move, portraits move and talk, and look, we can change things into other things. And it's real. Yep. But instead, they're just like, all right, well, um... You're a witch slash wizard now, so, um, good luck. There's many, many different varieties of therapy and counseling (laughs) that all of these students, teachers, ghosts, uh, ghosts counseling, I guess, sure, uh, probably need. And it's kind of amazing that there seems to be no formal thing in place. Yeah, there's nothing. There's no even, what about, like, like... What just when spells go wrong? Yeah. And, like, something happens to you and you're like, I'm sorry, a teacher just turned my arm into a rubbery mess because I have no bones left. Oh, okay, <laughs> just have one painful night in the hospital wing. Bye. Yeah, it's like, I feel like there should be a transition process or somewhere or something. I don't know. And... Again, this okay. is just I think through two we've books. already established that Hogwarts is not necessarily the safest place. Which the weird thing is, is everyone says there's no safer place than Hogwarts. There's no safer place than Hogwarts. What is the rest of the wizarding world like? Yeah. <laughs> if this is what's happening at Hogwarts. So do, like, if there's accidents at home, is it like in the muggle world where you just take your son who, like, accidentally blew up his leg or something like that? And when I say blew up, I mean, like, <laughs> enlarge his leg. Like it's swollen. It's it's very swollen. Like balloon-like or whatever. You just pop him in the car and take him to, like, St. Mungo's? Or do you port key it? Or do you, like, flu powder that? I feel like flu powder could be a... I mean, I don't think you would take a car because when you look at the... How many of them have cars? Yeah, and when you talk about, like, the Weasleys, Ford Angelica, like, that was like a... My God, it's a car! Right. So, like... So do you flu powder it? But if you have, like, a cut or something, I feel like the flu powder would not go well with that. Maybe Hogwarts and other wizarding schools are better at teaching life skills. Maybe they don't teach the recorder. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) The recorder is on some great musical tracks. (laughs) Of which I can't tell you. Ruby Tuesday, that's one. (laughs) Rolling Stones for the win. Anyway, uh, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I can't argue that. So, <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, just reading, the, well, the reason I even thought of it in this chapter was just seeing Ron's reaction to the spiders. He's literally facing his biggest fear, and it's, like, right up in his face mm-hmm. and all around him, and he's constantly dealing with it. That has to be a traumatic experience for him. Yeah, well, and it's actually very interesting that I feel like this is one of the times that you actually see Ron being extremely brave. Not saying that he's not, I mean, clearly he's in Gryffindor and sure. like there is some bravery The, the chess there, scene but, from yeah. you know, Sorcerer's Stone. Um, and such. Yeah. But when you look at, you know, the chess scene in Sorcerer's Stone, he understands the bigger picture of things. He knows that he has to sacrifice himself in order for them to move on. Right. Um, but you know, you're listening to Hagrid's advice to follow the spiders. Like, you don't necessarily see the end game there. That, that's another thing. Is like we finished the last episode, Molly and I talking about like the end quotes from that chapter. Dumbledore with this like long, beautiful quote about how like <laughs> I will never be gone from Hogwarts as long as those who are loyal to me remain. Or things like that. Beautiful long yeah. quotes. And then you have Hagrid with like follow the spiders, and we were like. Dumbledore, like, and maybe this is us just reading too far into it, and that's fine, but we were like, Dumbledore throwing instructions to Harry and Ron while also throwing shade at Malfoy and uh, mm-hmm. and Fudge. Like, he's using the same quote to mean two different things, but very pointed. How could you not mess, like, mess that up? And then Hagrid, follow the spiders, what the hell does that mean? Well, and it makes you wonder a little bit if, like, Hagrid kind of got what Dumbledore was doing um because obviously Dumbledore's was very like I know you're there right. I know you're hiding in the corner I'm just gonna tell you something that no one is going to think is pointed to an invisible person in the room whereas Hagrid's like I should give him a clue too <laughs> okay 
follow the spiders. Like, can you imagine being Fudge where he's just like, okay, like the right. spider. Okay, this guy's not only potentially a serial killer, but is also crazy, insane. But that, that was our interpretation of it. Clearly, they got a very different feeling. They were like, Dumbledore, what is Dumbledore <laughs> talking about? Saying? Hagrid, follow the spiders. Spiders? Yeah, let's follow them. Like, I don't know. If I got, like, the tip of follow the spiders, I'd be like, I don't know. I think Hagrid's lost his mind. I think we're just going to see if we can figure this out without talking to any spiders. <laughs> Let alone following them into the place where last time I was there, I saw Voldemort. You know what? Before I get too far away from it, before we wrap up the spoilers, I want to go back to something that we talked about with the portraits. Not the fat lady. Uh, but but um, how did Dumbledore know that Harry and Ron were in Hagrid's hut in, under the invisibility, invisibility cloak? I know he knows that they have it, but how does he know that they were there? He couldn't have watched them walk from the castle to the hut because they were under their cloak. So does the fat lady then be like, hey, somebody just left See, the portrait. I think that's giving too much credit to the fat lady because we also know that Dumbledore um, is a, oh, why can't I think of what they're called now? Legilimens? Yeah. So you think he picked up on like a mental signal? Yeah, under I think that he picked up a mental signal that when you think about Dumbledore, okay. and you think that, you know, he is the greatest wizard of the century, we'll call it. I would think that he kind of has a way when, you know, he has his pensive that he unloads his thoughts and memories into to help clear his head, mm -hmm. I would think eventually you're clearing your head so much that you kind of pick up on everything. Because they always say that Dumbledore knows what's going on. So how else do you know what's going on in a huge castle without talking to anyone, without involving anyone, but you still know exactly what's going on. And so when you think about being in Hagrid's tiny little hut, if you have nothing else that you're thinking about in your brain and you can focus on what's happening, it's like when they say... Um, like, if you lose one of your senses, like, if you lose your sense of sight, all of your other senses are heightened. So I would think it would be relatively similar that if Dumbledore is emptying out everything from his brain and he's not thinking on, you know, oh, well, what do I have to prepare for tomorrow? What doors do I need to make sure are locked what when I come back? What robe am I going to walk around the castle and get my hot chocolate? Later? Exactly. Yep. Like, if you're not thinking about those things, uh -huh. then... I would think it's somewhat easier to pick up on the fact that you're hearing five people's thoughts instead of three people's. Or... I never thought of Legilimens that way specifically. But I guess it could be that well, way. Well, but I would think with Dumbledore that it would just kind of happen. It's not necessarily that he's focusing on the thoughts. It's that he has all this power and all this wisdom and he has found a way to kind of be able to read the room. That would add a lot of power. Like, that would be a very powerful Dumbledore. But he I think that also explains that. a lot about Dumbledore because he always seems to know the right thing to say. He seems to know what people are thinking without them saying it. Even when, you know, you have Harry and Ron hiding in the corner and he knows that he needs to give those words of wisdom before he leaves. And so I would think that there's got to be some way that he just kind of tuned into them or that like he knows enough about Harry, Ron, and Hermione to be like, all right, they got this somewhat figured out. Because Dumbledore always knows more than what he lets on. I mean, let's be real. Dumbledore probably knew where the entrance to the Chamber of Secrets was this whole time. That brings up a whole other, <laughs> whole other realm of questions. I, I guess my thinking on Dumbledore is, I think his expansive wisdom, especially in the in the realm of knowing about things and about people and about interests and thoughts and stuff like that. I think part of it is an extensive network that he has. Like he doesn't overlook things, so he would talk to the portraits and be like. Hey, what have you heard? What have you seen? What's going on? The creatures in the Forbidden Forest. 
hey, what have you seen? What have you heard? Like he, you, he doesn't overlook the small or the obvious. Um, like in the background, you mm-hmm. pass those portraits a thousand times a day and you talk, have conversations from them and you don't even think that they're listening or that they're watching or whatever. Shoot, he consults with portraits. <laughs> like, um, and I think he specifically uses them to send messages. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, he has his network of feelers to be like, yeah. hey, what what's going on over here? Do I need to know about that? Well, and the other thing, too, kind of along the same lines, I guess you could say that maybe he wasn't, you know, reading the minds of Harry and Ron. But since he does kind of look out towards, you know, the portraits that are ignored or the people that aren't necessarily, you know, given a ton of attention. It could be that maybe he noticed that a blanket was pushed a little to the side or something, because I mean, it's not like Fudge or Malfoy are going to walk in and be like, huh, that blanket isn't normally there, but maybe that's why Dumbledore knew is he was like, well, I gave Harry the cloak. Something in Hagrid's hut is a little bit, that's fair. That's fair. I'm still going on <clears throat> that he read Ron and Harry's thoughts. Also, because if they're in that situation, like, who would be the most panicked in that hut when Fudge and Dumbledore walk in? Or when Malfoy walks in and it's like an added, like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just thinking, like, you know, when, yeah. and you have that... You know, Ron says it's the Minister of Magic. So when you add on the extra layer that, like, they clearly were talking in there. So Yeah, he had, like, elbows and, like, yeah. shut up, dude. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think that's something that Dumbledore would be pretty Picked attuned up on. to. That's fair. Um, now I'm just getting the image of <laughs> Dumbledore in a modern world just uh, sitting there playing, like, Tetris or whatever on his phone. And every time the fat lady portrait opens up at like 3 a.m., he just gets a ding. <laughs> a little like, ding, another student left the Gryffindor. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> they have like an ADT alarm system instead of the portrait. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, oh, Harry left again. Great. All right. On that note, uh, we'll probably wrap it up for chapter 15. Check us out on our social media pages. Uh, We're currently in the midst of the uh, bracket March Madness style uh, tournament that we've set up. Uh, There's been some really cool matchups, some really close calls. Uh, I think Narcissa, Malfoy, and Voldemort was really close, almost 50-50 split. Uh, Garrick Ollivander and Sybil Trelawney was a really close 50-50 split. So there's some close ones. So it's been really cool to kind of see how people have voted on these things. Mm-hmm. So check out our Twitter, check out our Instagram. It's at Hogwarts Pod on both. Um, and then Julie will be back for the next chapter next week. Yeah. Very exciting. It's another loaded chapter. So <laughs> Give me a lot of hard work this time, man. <laughs> I know. And I'm happy that he came in notes loaded. So that's great. But uh, anyway, thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Let us know. Uh, I'm Dan, and for Julie. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts, a podcast.